I'll do turn to Mark uh, 1, uh, 14 to 15. That's where we're going to uh, be this morning. Um, we're starting this new series uh, in Foundations for Worship. I say we're starting it. We're actually going to be halfway through it after this preach because it's just four parts. Um, uh, I just wanted to recommend some books. Uh, this is called Jared Cooper. This is We're talking about uh, worship in terms of lifestyle and so on. Um, but this is this is more specifically about worshiping the church when we're gathered together, like we have been doing this morning. Jared Cooper, if you want to read something that's really provocative, that will stay your spirit for um, the glory of God to be in His church, then that book by Jared Cooper is brilliant. Um, these books are a bit more general, but they're about church life, and they include some of the things that we're talking about. This is Christ Radiant Church by John Hosier, and this is uh, Spirit Filled Church by Terry Virgo. They are great books that cover some of the things that we're speaking about in this series and well worth a read. They're a bit broader, but all of it's good. Um, God's given us this prophetic word of us being a sticky church based around this picture of a beehive. And one of the things that God is doing amongst us to make us sticky as a church is renewing and refreshing our foundations as a church. And one of our foundation stones is our worship. Uh, 1 Peter 2 verse 5 describes the church as being made up of living stones, that each of us, you and I, dotted around the room here, are living stones that together make up a spiritual house, a temple for the Lord that the Lord dwells in, and that he's amongst us by his spirit being with us as, as a people. Um, and so uh, that house is being built up, we're being built up as a house to offer worship uh, to God. Um, and so we're exploring what worship looks like in terms of faith, repentance, baptism in water, and baptism in the Spirit, so that Jesus would enlarge our hearts, he would enlarge our hearts, so that we bring glory uh, to him. Um, so we're going to look at uh, repentance uh, today. Uh, Acts 2, um, 37, 41 reminded me of, of this whole series as kind of part of where it came from. It says this in Acts 2. Uh, Peter's just preached the gospel, and then it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Worship's an issue of the heart, isn't it? In fact, the whole life of following Jesus and being a Christian is about the heart, isn't it? They heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart and then said to Peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do what should we do cut to the heart what should we do now that we've heard this gospel about Jesus and he said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit his promises for you and your children, all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message, who received the word by faith, were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So today we're looking at repentance, the foundation stone of repentance, and what repentance means to us as Christians. So, Mark 1, verses 14 uh, to 15 says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
Repent and believe the good news. This is the first thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. Um, he, you know, John the Baptist has prepared the way. Jesus has been baptized. He goes into uh, the wilderness and is tempted in the desert. And then this is the first thing he says. The time has come. The time's now. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God's come near. Well, what's he mean by this? What's he mean when he says the time is now? There's two uh, Greek words that get translated into our English word time. One of them is chronos. Chronos is like sequential time. One event happens after the other. The other word is kairos, which means like a moment in time, a significant special moment. And the word that he's using here is the kairos word. He's talking about a moment when the eternal God breaks in to our brokenness, to mend it. He's talking about a moment in time when God comes to restore his image in us, when he comes to change us, to make us more like Jesus. And these Kairos moments can be positive or negative events. They can be um, times when, uh, I don't know, you know, significant moments where life just feels like it's a bit of a mess. It can be great moments of celebration. But what these Kairos moments produce is like a process where we learn to be more like Jesus and to be changed like him. Those Kairos moments are when the kingdom of God is near and as King Jesus breaks into our lives for good, that he comes to change us forever. His light breaks into darkness. His love breaks into hate. His um, joy breaks into sorrow. His hope breaks into despair. That's the kind of moment he's talking about here. The time is now. Repent. There's a kairos moment, a significant moment in life where things seem to change. You go into that mode of kind of processing something. You know it's going to be a significant moment in life. I wonder what your experiences have been. Moments when God has spoken to you and broken into a situation. You've had one of those kairos moments that you can remember. I remember when such and such happened. One of the ladies at the refugee centre was telling us her story, and her Kairos moment was quite a funny one. She said there was a TV behind her, and she felt God speak from the TV and say, stand up and go. Her husband had constantly been inviting her to church, and she'd been saying no all along, and she felt God speak to her and say, stand up and go to church. She went to church, and she became a Christian. She repented, if you like, and gave her life to Jesus. It was a Kairos moment to her. God broke in. And there was a specific moment when she could say, God spoke to me. And that was just when the war had broken out. In the chaos of um, having to leave her homeland, God spoke and she was saved. And I wonder what those experiences have been like for you. Maybe when you became a Christian, but right throughout your life where you could say, I remember and God said this or this happened and it changed my life. I wonder if you've had one of those recently where you feel God's broken in and said something to you that's been significant and changed the course of life. So uh, what is repentance? Um, I'm just going to pull out three things uh, briefly. The first is repentance is from the inside out. When these kind of kairos moments happen, what's our response to be? Jesus says it's to repent. The word repent, a Greek word metanoia, it means to have a change of heart or mind, to have a change of heart or mind. It's not just, we kind of think of repenting as being sorry, don't we? You're kind of sorry and you move on. When Jesus says repent, he's talking about a change of heart 
and mind. A change in the inside that goes to the outside. We read this throughout scripture, don't we? When you think of Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Because everything you do in life, everything you say and do, comes from the heart. Well, Jesus says, doesn't he, in Matthew 12, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, doesn't he? It's it's what's inside your heart that matters. Because your heart governs the things you say, the things you do, and the decisions you make, the priorities that you have in life. Jesus says this in Mark 7. He says, "Um, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And all these evils come from inside and defile a person. If uh, I were to tell us that there is a roaring lion in the corridor that's about to come in and have its lunch, and I said that now, none of us are moving because none of us believe it, really, do we? I said, James, that's nonsense. Africa alive is a long way away. Um, They probably wouldn't be coming here for lunch. And anyway, they'd be eating you first. Um, So I'm not worried. Um, But if we really did believe that there was a lion in the corridor, quite obviously we'd be doing something about it, wouldn't we? We'd be heading for the exits. We'd probably be grabbing our children first, hopefully, and heading out the door, round the building, maybe trying to lock him in there. Uh, We'd be responding to it in a particular way because we believe something in our hearts. And it's like that with um, following Jesus. You believe in Jesus, have faith in him, and repentance leads to a, a change of heart. I believe in Jesus, got faith in him, and therefore it's affected my heart, and it works its way out into my life and the decisions I make and the things that I do and say. Um, I remember in my 20s, I was uh, daydreaming. I realized something about my thought life. I realized I'm daydreaming a lot about being married. And I wasn't married at that time, for a bit of context. We didn't get married till I was 29. So this was like early 20s, and I was just daydreaming about it. And I realized I was daydreaming about it, and I needed to decide in my heart that whether I was married or single, Jesus was worth following. And he was all that mattered. And whether I was this way or that way didn't matter as much, because following him was what mattered most. When you made that decision in my heart, it changed the way I lived my life. And I stopped dream, daydreaming so much about my life being different and became more content about the way that life was. And that's what repentance looks like. I'm sure we can all think of moments where you were thinking or doing something and you made a decision in your heart. I'm no longer going to do that. I'm going to do this. Because Jesus is all that matters. So I don't need to do this anymore. My life is going to be different. Repentance works from the inside out. So I wonder what's going on in your heart in these days. What are the things that you're thinking about? What are the things that you're doing? What's showing up in your lifestyle? What habits have been formed? What decisions are you making you've noticed and that God's kind of um, pointing out to you? Repentance is from the inside out. It's also from the beginning to end. When we were sat around with the refugees at the uh, centre and met the team, um, the way he phrased, and we got talking about how we became Christians, was this. He said, how did you repent? 
And we don't often hear it like that anymore because repentance, as I'm going to talk about in a second, is like a bad word in our culture, isn't it? You kind of think of like a preacher on the corner who's shouting at you, telling you how much God hates you, and you, know, you repent. It's kind of got a bad reputation. But for them, they were like, how did you first repent? And we kind of shared our stories. And this is what Peter says when they were first cut to the heart. What should we do? Repent, Peter says. So the question is this, really, at the beginning is what is the main storyline of your life? What's the main storyline of your life? What's it about? What's going to make you tick? What's going to be the focus? What's going to be the main thread of your life? Because we can make all kinds of things the focus of our life, can't we? We can make all kinds of things the main storyline. It could be um, career, um, comfort, kids. It could be Success or sex or serenity. Colossians 1 says that we were made by Jesus for Jesus. It's an amazing thing that that says. We were made for him. Colossians 1, we were made for him. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that Jesus is Lord, doesn't it? It means he's the Lord of our life. It means he's the boss. He's the one who makes the big calls. And the second thing it means is that our hearts can only be satisfied by him. That we can live for all kinds of things, can't we? We can live for all number of things, relationships, success, achievements, uh, whatever comfort in life, whatever it might be. We can live for a multitude of things. But there's one person who satisfies our hearts, and that's Jesus. He's the one who truly can satisfy us because we were made for him. So being a Christian, following Jesus, is not about reading your Bible, going to church, praying. It's not about giving money or serving on a team or singing worship. Following Jesus is ultimately an issue of the heart. It's about repenting and deciding that, Jesus, you're, you're my life. I'm all about you. This is the purpose of my life. I'm made for you and I'm living for you. All these other priorities I'm turning away from. I'm changing my heart and mind so that I'm living for you. You are what my life is all about. I'm seeking your kingdom first and everything else will get added. You're my priority. And we do that at the beginning. If you become a Christian, that's a decision you made, isn't it? I'm turning away from all of this to Jesus. And he's what my life is going to be about So I wonder, have you begun to follow Jesus? Have you turned from everything else in life that life could be about to making your life about him? And then if we're a Christian, um, repentance is something that all life is about, isn't it? Um, This quote from Martin Luther, uh, he says this, all of the Christian life is repentance. All of the Christian life is repentance. You don't just repent once at the beginning and that's it. Oh, <laughs> great. Life sorted. <laughs> because as you kind of go on and follow Jesus, you realise there's all sorts of things going on in your heart that need clearing up and need tidying up and need changing. And God's doing a continual work inside our hearts. He's growing us to be more like him. He's changing us inwardly to be more like Jesus, restoring the image of God in us, enabling us to reflect more of what God is like. He's the new creation that God has born in our hearts is breaking through into our life. 
I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, you know, there's not much about me. You ever feel like you have those moments where you think the things that you say and the way you live your life feel like vapour, like they haven't got much weight to them. And what Jesus is doing throughout our lives is he's restoring his weight to us, his glory. That's what glory means, weightiness. And as we change and become more like Jesus as we follow him, he adds weight to us. So there's substance and weight to us. He's restoring his glory in us as we become more like him. So we reflect what God is like, that we're image bearers of his. It says this in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We contemplate Jesus. And what's the consequence? We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Or you might have read it, from glory to glory. God's adding weight to us as, as we continually repent through life. We take on the glory of God. And so the glory of God in his church, which one of that book was about, is actually wrapped up in the glory of God in each of our individual lives. The temple of God is made up of living stones, isn't it? And therefore, God's transformation in each of us affects the glory of God in his church. And if we want Beckles and beyond to see the glory of God in his church, that's tied to, isn't it? our relationship with Jesus and how we constantly grow and change to become more like him. And so renewing the foundations of the church, the reason we're talking about worship, because it begins with us each individually, doesn't it? In our faith response to God, in our own repentance and becoming more like him. So what does God want to change in your heart? What's running through your mind? What's he pressing on? You know that feeling. I'm being very vague, aren't I? But I hope, and I'll talk, try and unpack it a little bit more. But you know when God's just pressing something, isn't he? He's just, it won't go away. You know that feeling? God is saying something to you. And it's like, like Sebi sometimes to get my attention. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And God's sometimes a bit like that with us, isn't he? And you think, is he ever going to go away? <laughs> And obviously, I'm like, love you, son. What do you have to say all the time? Um, but God could be like, he's pressing a button. He wants to speak to us about something. Uh, the third thing is, is from sin to Jesus. I might need, maybe it'll move in a second. I might need some help with the computer because this isn't working. Uh, what does it mean? What do we mean by uh, sin? Uh, sin, the, uh, the word that gets used for sin, the first one's transgression. You heard of transgression in the Bible. Transgression means to step over a boundary. Um, the second word, iniquity, just simply means wickedness. Or the word sin is an archery term where you'd pull the bow back, fire it, and if you miss the target, the person next to the archery board, yards away, would say, sin, if you miss the mark, if you hit the target, he wouldn't say it. And that's what sin is about. So repentance is not crossing over the line, over the boundary. It's um, turning away from wickedness. It's um, no longer missing the mark in life, but taking aim again. And like I said, repentance has a really bad word and is a bad reputation in our culture, doesn't it? 
it kind of strikes up, repent, you know, guys with cardboard um, kind of banners, you know, and they write on it with big black pen, you know, you're going to hell or repent quick, you know, quickly. It's, you know, Jesus coming soon, um, which is well-intentioned, isn't it? But it, didn't, it hasn't gone down that well, I think it's fair uh, to say. But actually, repentance is a really good thing. It's a really good thing. Romans uh, 2, verse 4, says that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Look at that. Repentance is a great thing. It's God's kindness to us. When he's doing this, it might be kind of like, oh. but actually, God's being kind to us. It's his way of leading us to repentance. It's his kindness and his love towards us. And he leads us to repentance in a whole number of ways. And he does it because he's leading us away from death. If we don't repent initially, it results in death, doesn't it? If we choose to live life without Jesus, we choose eternity without him. And the Bible calls that hell. It's a bit like on the cigarette packet. You only buy cigarettes, or maybe you don't buy cigarettes. But on the packet, maybe you don't, because you've read the packet. And it says, this kills you, in really big letters, doesn't it? And Jesus, is that's God's kindness to us. He's leading us to repentance. He's saying, look, this is where it leads, eternal life without me. There's nothing worse than eternity without Jesus and all that's good. Because he's the source of it all. Peace, joy, love, kindness. All of it, gone. Imagine that. All of it, gone. God's kindness leads us away from it to his eternal life to his presence for eternity. And he does it through situations, circumstances, crises. He does it through other people, irritatingly, doesn't he? If you've got a husband or wife, that probably happens quite often, on maybe a daily basis, if your experience is anything like mine. Um, Or maybe it's work colleagues, or friends, or family, Christians, or people who aren't. It doesn't make a difference. God speaks to us in many ways. And what he's doing is he's starting a process where he's breaking us down until eventually you get that feeling and you go, oh, I've had enough of this. <laughs> oh, I'm done with just trying to like live life my own way. I'm just done with it. And you realise, yes, I am wrong. And I just turn to Jesus on this and repent. God's plan for us is that rivers of living water of the Spirit's life will flow from us that out of our heart, into our lifestyle decisions, everything that we say and do. In Hebrews it says you throw off everything that hinders you, so you'll run the race. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. If you can think of the river analogy, it's like taking the blockages out of the river flow. And we all get things, don't we, in life where actually we're struggling to follow Jesus and we just need to take something out of the river and just let it flow better. Better blockages that just kind of get in our way and we need to remove them so we can live in the flow of his life for us so what's blocking the flow of the spirit in your life what's hindering your race and weighing you down what line have you crossed what mark are you missing unblock it throw it off turn around take aim and decide to live your life for jesus make him the centre of it. And the final thing from 
conviction to communion, which is what we're going to do in a minute. How does God lead us to repentance? Um, The Spirit comes and tells us, you're wrong. (laughs) This is a horrible message to preach. I didn't realize it when I was writing it, but now I'm doing it. I'm like, this is a really hard thing to constantly tell people, isn't it? The Spirit comes to you and tells you, you're wrong. You're wrong. Let me show you it in Scripture. This is John 16. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper won't come, Holy Spirit. If I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do, convict. The same word in this passage, Matthew 18, 15. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. It's the same word, exactly the same Greek word. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit comes and says, you're wrong. It's your fault. You're at fault. You've missed the mark. You've overset the boundary. You're wrong. I don't know about you, I find that really hard to hear. When my wife says to me, James, you're wrong, my response is this. And I get kind of like staunch-faced about it. I mean, occasionally I'm soft-hearted and I melt, but most of the time I'm staunch-faced about it. It's no different with God, is it? I remember I used to give kids detentions at school. And if they were really stubborn, you get to the end of the detention, I've done the kind of try and talk them through it kind of thing, get alongside them, put on a smile, and make out like it wasn't really irritating that they talk constantly through the lesson. And sometimes at the end of it, they'd be staunch-faced, unrepentant, unremorseful, storm out. And we can be like that with God, can't we? He goes, you're wrong. You're at fault. And we go, it's possible to do that, isn't it? Sometimes we describe that as being like hard-hearted. We can be hard-hearted towards God, can't we? Or we can treat what he says to us really lightly. We can um, be a bit kind of they say fair about it and kind of treat it a bit lightly or we can be totally crushed by it as well and be totally kind of like struggling to do anything about it because we're just so crushed and it's a bit countercultural, isn't it that's why it's a bit hard to kind of say it now because in our culture everything's brilliant and positive isn't it you sometimes watch something on TV and you think this is sickly everything's brilliant and positive and amazing but occasionally the Holy Spirit says you're wrong you're at fault how does that work well if you're not a Christian he comes to you and he says shows you that by saying by not believing in Jesus you're wrong you're at fault he's the Lord you were made by him you were made for him your life's meant to be about him and it's not like a person trying to convince you When you become a Christian, you're utterly convinced, aren't you? Maybe you're a Christian here and you've had that moment with penny drops and you realise, I'm wrong. I've been really resistant to this, but I'm just wrong. Life is all about Jesus, and so I'm going to follow him. If you're a Christian here today, then God's lovingly at work in your heart by his Holy Spirit saying you're wrong. What you're thinking, feeling, doing, that habit you've got, that aspect of your lifestyle, that decision you made out of fear rather than faith, you're wrong. You're at fault. 
And repentance looks like quickly repenting, not trying to go on living that way, eking it out. He will break you down. (laughs) He will get there. It might be when you meet him face to face, but he will get there and he will change you to be more like him. So we might as well give it up early as possible. Otherwise, just kind of stringing it out. And it's really painful, isn't it? It's actually really painful when God's doing that in your heart. No one likes being told that they're wrong. Uh, So how can we know that we're being convicted by God? How can we be sure that he's actually speaking to us? There's three things. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, one, it's clear. It's clear. You're not, like, confused about it. You know what he's saying. Two, it's specific. It's not, like, vague. And third, you know what to do about it. I'll give you one example. When I was in my 20s, um, I was ignorantly watching pornography, and I heard a talk about it where somebody confronted the issue of uh, lust and spoke about it, and I felt huge conviction. I was like, God's speaking to me about this. I can't watch pornography and follow Jesus at the same time. You can't do the same. Do two at the same time. They're at odds with one another. It was really clear. Clear as day. I remember the talk it happened in. I was away at certain kind of an 18 to 30s retreat kind of thing. And I felt God say to me, that laptop, which I got given, second hand by a mate, smash it. So I went home, onto the driveway, and I smashed the laptop. And the mate who gave me the laptop returned home while I was in the middle of it. And not only did he see me smashing his... I had to explain to him why I was doing it, which was good. I confessed my sin to him as well. But God's like that. He clearly convicts you. He makes it specific, and he, you know what to do. The devil will be vague. It'll feel a heavy cloud, and you won't feel like you can fix it. And you'll just feel rubbish and discouraged. That's not the conviction of spirit. That's just the enemy trying to get at you. So what is God's kindness leading you to repent of at the moment remember that God's forgiveness means that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if you're a believer here today and this talk makes you feel rubbish it hasn't done what it's meant to do it's God's kindness he's forgiven you in Jesus the thing that you've been doing saying, thinking he doesn't hold against you When the Father looks down on you, he doesn't see that thing. Jesus died for it on the cross and it was removed from you. You've been clothed with Jesus' righteousness. And therefore, there is no condemnation over your life. And you can thank God for his forgiveness towards you. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to break bread. There's some four tables around the room. One there, 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 and over there.